Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Lewis. Hello Lewis. Hello again. Long time no see. It's actually been quite a short while actually because the last one was the Mecha March wasn't it? It was yes actually um, we're kind of on it a bit at the moment and we've uh, (laughs) got this. Nailing them out. (laughs) We'll see how long this trend actually lasts. Um, Yeah we'll keep it up as as, as best we can. Yeah. Another podcast from, uh, well, certainly lockdown from you. Things are getting kind of better in the UK at the moment. Things are mm. starting to ease up slowly. So uh, I've had my first jab. Um, didn't feel too bad afterwards. Felt like I had jet lag for a few days. But other than that, okay. So Yeah, that's good well, news. That's, that's good. Second one in July. So then I'll be vaccined up. Uh, so... Lucky you. I'm uh, still stuck in uh, Ireland with, I mean, everything's just far behind right now. Yeah, yeah. Trucking on. (laughs) So before we get into the main content of today's podcast, I just want to do a brief review of a book um, that came out recently. It's a book about Leiji Matsumoto. It's called Leiji Matsumoto, Essays on the Manga and Anime Legend. It's edited by Helen McCarthy and Darren John Ashmore. It was due to come out, I think, last summer sometime, but uh, due to sort of various difficulties and delays due to the COVID pandemic, uh, it only came out kind of back in February time. So uh, it's a very interesting book. It's exactly as the title says. It's a series of essays written by people about various aspects of Lady Matsumoto's manga and anime and a lot of comparisons between the two. It's a really, really interesting book. It gives a load of really sort of incredible insight into the man himself. It starts off with an introduction by Helen McCarthy about Leiji Matsumoto and kind of how he grew up and kind of how his life developed, uh, which was really interesting. I never knew his first name was Akira and then how he became to take the moniker of, of Leiji. Um, it, it was really, really, it was a load of stuff that I didn't know about the man and it was really, really engrossing. That's followed by an essay by Darren John Ashmore about kind of what influenced Leiji Matsumoto and, and the events in his life, you know, the post-World War II era. You know, Matsumoto's father was a fighter pilot um, and worked in the aircraft industry during World War II and how he kind of shunned that to have a much simpler life after the war. And how all those things, um, especially as the older brother and and the sacrifices he made for his siblings, you know, really, really, really interesting. Um, And then it goes on, there's an essay by Tim Eldred about drawing Matsumoto in manga, because Tim Eldred, you know, released Star Blazers um, in the US and, and he's done a lot of comics and sort of American manga adaptations of Matsumoto's work. There's a really, really interesting essay by Jonathan Tarbox based on the cockpit which we reviewed back in episode 23 and this concept of the the noble failed hero which is like absolutely fascinating and I Lewis I so wish I'd known and read that article before we reviewed it you know um really we'd have both had read that section really it gives so much insight actually as to you know what kind of motivated a lot of people Um, And this concept, which runs through a lot of Japanese kind of folklore and storytelling, you know, it's about these people that are just kind of doomed to fail, even even 
and they will take a series of actions even though they know they're doomed to fail but there's like a nobility in this failure really really interesting and and actually you know when i think back to those three episodes of the cockpit um yeah you know it's a kind of i see it in a new light to be honest Mm. really 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 interesting and i wholeheartedly recommend people to read this and watch the cockpit um because you'll see it in a a whole different light i think not Mm. knowing this stuff before so um stephanie thomas does a section on the woman in matsumoto space operas as essays on cosplay the impact on magazines and how to kind of do it then finally there's an essay by zach davison on translating uh leiji matsumoto's work into english which is kind of insightful and how you kind of translate that language and, and get that you know intent from Matsumoto across in English you know that original it's absolutely fascinating book I've seen a few of Matsumoto's works I've seen the first two Yamato series and and the the films I've seen the the Harlock film uh, Arcadia of my youth Um, and again that in uh, Darren John Ashmore's essay and he talks about the Arcadia of my youth and how that actually that concept of what that means, which I again had never ever appreciated, but the the real uh, sort of context and intent and meaning behind it, why Matsumoto's kind of chose that title about it. It's, again, it kind of sheds a whole new light on his works. I've never seen Galley Express three nine. Uh, it's one of the the few things that I've I've not seen, um, but it it really really makes me want to go and watch it now. Uh, so. It's a really interesting book. It's kind of only about 250 pages, but it's just full of so much really, really interesting insight into the man and how he shaped his manga and then the anime adaptations. I've, I've never read any of his manga. You know, I tend to have time for one or the other, so I, I watch anime mostly. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating book um, and I really, really highly recommend it if you want to learn more about you know, Leiji Matsumoto, who kind of shaped so much of the manga and anime industry through the 60s and 70s. And, you know, we still kind of see uh, the impact and influence of his work today. So, um, and it really makes me want to see uh, Space Battleship Yamato re-released. Uh, I think that's a real, you know, it's a real miss in Western anime that, um, the, you know, the original TV series and, and the movies aren't uh, aren't available in the West at the moment. So, uh yeah, here's hoping that um, maybe the popularity of 2199 and 2202 hopefully drives another release of that. So, yeah, as I said, really, really recommend it. Go and uh, go and read it. You'll learn so much about it, and you'll really, really appreciate you know watching his anime in a, you know with a different set of eyes. I, I you know I, I promise you. So uh, so that's just a brief book review uh, that I wanted to cover. So the two anime we're going to review today, another couple of obscure 80s OVAs. Both of these, again, they came out on Laserdisc in the late 80s anime boom, but since then have never been released on DVD or any other format. So they largely fall into the uh, forgotten and obscure categories of our tagline, Lewis. Mm. So uh, Nayuta and Whatever White Bear, I'm pretty sure you've never seen these before, Lewis. No, no, I have not. No. <laughs> To be honest, these are both things that I've seen fairly recently. Um, there's a Twitter account called Anime VHS Bot, mm. um, and this guy takes all the uh, covers of 
you know, the VHS covers of all these OVAs and, and post them online. It creates a kind of archive yeah. of them. And it's a really good source because, you know, it's it, yeah kind yeah. of research, you know. Yeah. yeah. And a few years ago, I saw, because sometimes you see something and go, oh, I doesn't, don't recognize that, you know, and you go and translate what it is. And we'll, there was one a few years ago was Nayuta. Mm. I kind of looked it up and thought, oh, I found a fan sub. And I've watched it. And then whatever White Bear was released by Orphan, I think in 2019, again, never heard of it. Red Collector's blog, which accompanies the uh, fan sub releases. It was like really interesting. And I watched it and it's just like, I am definitely (laughs) reviewing this on the podcast, um, like back in 2019. So I say, I think the synergy, you know, they're both very, very forgotten you know, no DVD release or anything. No. They're just kind of sat there in the in the ether, really. Whatever White Bear I've seen a few times, but and Newter I, I watched maybe two or three years ago, and then watched it again for this. So I think they'll be quite interesting. To discuss this. Yeah, um, they're two very different titles. Yes, yeah, they are two very different titles. Yeah. So let's get into our reviews. So our first review today is Nayuta. This is a one-episode OVA from 1986, directed by Masami Hata. Uh, he directed a lot of kind of franchises, a lot of stuff that isn't typically uh, well-known in the West, but a lot of anime that's kind of aimed at children, um, a few of which have got releases over here and I think will be familiar to Western fans, um, namely Ringing Bell and Little Nemo. And he'd done some of the uh, Hello Kitty anime as well which is you know quite popular over here uh animation production was by circus production there is a fan sub available as i said um you can find it on youtube as well with english subtitles so it's not difficult to go and watch it uh, brief synopsis nayuta is a normal schoolgirl until she meets a young boy named kiro trying to help his sick mother nayuta takes them to the hospital but inside kiro's mother vanishes without explanation and kiro runs away later that night Kiro shows up at Nayuta's house and shows her his psychic powers, enabled by a mysterious tiara he wears. Zolu, Nayuta, what Nyuta. what did you think? Um, it was horrible. Yeah, it was just <laughs> horrible. Um, I mean the the, the start of it. Um, you know, it, it kind of like has a a segment kind of tease of later on in the movie and mm. I thought it was going to be one yeah. of those little ma- magical girl anime things because she had yeah, the, yeah. almost like a Sailor Moon sort of tiara on shooting one of those yeah. really 80s space pistols chased by some pretty <laughs> nondescript aliens that I feel like I've seen somewhere yeah. before yeah 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 um, the Kree it reminded me of I think mm. yeah and uh, yeah just the whole thing everything is just Every plot point was a coincidence, you know. Yeah, um, I know. it was just it was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it 
I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's. I mean, it is just exceedingly dull. Yeah, um, it's probably the most boring eighty minutes of anime I've ever watched. Yeah, it, as you it, said, the yeah. that opening kind of scene up to the title card kind of teases something, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, this you know maybe setting something up here, but it mm. then kind of just doesn't do very much, and it just plods along. Yeah, it does. It's it's very it's very slow, and it also just kind of. Every story beat that pushes it forward just expects you to just accept that that's the case. Yeah, it yeah. never like justifies anything it does. No. It never tries. <laughs> One of the moments that stuck out to me most is obviously the the fact that out of nowhere, even after you know uh, Kiro, you know, says that he doesn't want her to remove this tiara from uh, from his head, she just goes ahead and does it anyway at some stage, and then that's like, that's yeah, like, yeah. You know, that's how her journey starts then, and it's just... <laughs> but everything is just a, like a, a sheer coincidence that it happens, and nothing's ever justified. No, which is quite interesting, because this is full of exposition, like, yeah. all the way through. There's kind of loads of it, and especially in the last kind of 20 minutes, last quarter. I mean, it's just like, it just exposition after exposition, yeah. and it just like grinds to a complete halt towards the end. Mm. You know, and you're just like, Oh, this is really boring, and I'm struggling yeah. to stay focused and stay awake and yeah, stay 100%. engaged with it. Yeah, and like there's those points where it starts with the exposition. It starts talking about like you know it, it delves into the mankind and and all yeah, this kind of stuff. And yeah, you're like you're like oh okay, it's one of those message ones. Yeah, which is fine if it has a clear and concise message, but it never really gets around to it. It kind no, of just I plays know. with the fantasy. Uh, elements and then never like kind of goes into them and then people are fighting randomly everything's secure then it's not then yeah there's just it just it's yeah. just all over the place it's a scrambled yeah. egg it is because being the sort of mid 80s anime there's some quite clear sort of world influences you know world event influences on it you know it starts yeah. off you know in the uh, school class you know this film about the Famine in Africa, which yeah. kind of was happening in the mid eighties, you know, there was the live aid and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, there's a thing about the threat of nuclear war and and then at the very, very end there's this kind of soppy message about, you know, everyone just needs to get on sort yeah, of thing. Everyone just kind of really break limp. through, you know. It's not like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh you know, there there is no greater truth than, you know, <laughs> unison. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just uh it's just I don't know. There's like there's parts of it that like you're like oh, okay. There's some there's some redeeming features, but like every character interaction scene, there's just no depth to it. There's no, no, no. character building. It's all just like you're, you're introduced to them, you're expected to empathise with them, and then they're off like doing their own thing, or they're dead. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and like and that's like the, what I think the biggest thing is that you meant to you meant to uh, empathise with uh, Saz. Mm. Um, but you don't know who she is, why yeah. she's powerful, what her abilities are really, beside what's like shown on screen, and then uh, she refuses to help Nayuta, and then thirty seconds later, just goes, you know what? Mm, maybe you're right. I've had to think about it, uh, <laughs> and then and then like teleports them to Pluto, <laughs> which was, and then you're like, whoa, wait, what? And then she's like, don't don't attack these little baby things because. Yeah. They'll catch on that we're baddies, or yeah. in their eyes, 
And then yeah. she goes ahead and does it. <laughs> she runs off, sees people frozen, which really shouldn't surprise her because she's the rebel leader. She knows what the what the, they're up to. Yeah. Um. And then she turns to dust after one of those things. A baby flicks one of those tiaras off her head. Yeah. And I yeah. just don't understand any of it. No. None of it made sense. So the basic story that that kind of underpins the OVA this. Um, you know, this higher being, you know, created a big bang and there's this race of aliens called the Azado. Yeah. Um, and watched various races sort of grow in, in the solar system and humanity, you know, was really materialistic and greedy and he sent the Azado to kind of subjugate humanity mm. and they're kind of locked behind this barrier. I think fundamentally as a sci-fi story, that's okay. Yeah. It's just exceptionally badly executed yeah and delivered as a story yeah because like if that kind of exposition showed up early when mm. soz and if soz introduced it yeah. then you'd have like the rebel side of the story yeah and then when she goes to learn the greater truth from this whatever it is <laughs> yeah that, that uh that kind of like exists in this in, in, on pluto uh then you'd get this quote greater truth from yeah. the thing which should then have that uh kind of like story beat like does she believe what Sars has told her yeah or yeah. um does she believe this greater truth that this eternal being has told her and then that you know because then obviously she gets to make the choice whether like which one's a lie but there's no, no there's nothing on the mm. line there because no, she I never know. makes a decision herself no <laughs> like, she never ever makes a decision herself Sars is apparently now dust so she can't. She can no longer exist in that scene to kind of add weight to it, like so. Yeah. Like, and then, and then, it, Kiro sh- shows up. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just flimsy all through. I don't know if it, you can really kind of like explain something that really just has to be watched and to to be understood that it should never have been watched. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a very good way of putting it, Lewis. That's a very good way. Because there's a kind of there's a twist with Kiro towards the end, which actually, if it was kind of handled a bit better, and as you say, some of the events in the story were delivered and and explained at, yeah. a bit earlier on, yeah. would have been a much better twist. Because yeah. it's kind of like I was like, oh, actually, yeah, that's I like that idea, but you've mishandled it completely, and oh, it kind of loses all its impact. Yeah, because. There's a bit of it that reminds me of Star Trek The Motion Picture when at the end they go and they meet this sort of almighty being sort of thing. Yeah. I like that film, but it is very, very slow. And the bit at the end does kind of plod on a little bit through a lot of exposition, which this reminded me of a lot. Yeah. Um, I think, But it's just kind of, it's a bit, oh, I don't know, it's a bit odd in places. Uh, well, it I mean, tries to keep this air of mystery. It does, but like yeah. it's never really taken into account that you know whoever's going to be watching it is just bewildered. Yeah, like, you know, because like obviously they know what the story is because they've written yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah. But they never really pitch that story to anyone. Like there's, mm. um, you know, she takes Nayuta takes uh, Kiro's crown. Yeah, and then, then he disappears. Mm. Turns up later and goes, yeah, don't worry about it. I was just forcibly aged by 12 years exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, no, for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. Um, and like the, but the part at the start where, like, you know, that his mother is dying. Yeah. That, 
the doctors take her into a room and disappear. <laughs> but they could have easily have got Kira, uh, Kiro and, and Nayuta yeah, in that yeah. situation when yeah. like Nayuta was none the wiser and Kiro was like, yeah, you know, I. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to trying to make sense of stuff, but like, so much happens and nothing happens at the same time. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just all over the place. I, I, I would like to say that you know there is some redeeming factor when, um, it kind of normalizes and stabilizes itself in the, uh when she just goes to school and she's like wearing the circlet. That's yeah, when it could yeah. have stabilized and kind of gone off on, you know, introduce the rebels, introduce the story, yeah. but it just it never really got hit its stride. It just kept yeah. on playing jump rope yeah because there's there's a bit at the beginning as you say the bit when kiro's mother gets taken away yeah i say it's like well just why didn't they take kiro and take the the tiara then and then kiro just turns up in the yuta's house parents just accept yeah oh yeah we'll take this psychic child child in and everything you know it's just perfectly normal Mm. Because it's worth pointing out at this point, I mean, this is part of the, you know, kind of popularity of Espers during the sort of early to mid 80s, yeah, um, yeah. you know, which I'll kind of talk a bit more about it yeah, later. Mm. So, you know, Kira's at the table and he's moving food about and they're like, yeah, this is great, you know, and then Nayuta tries to use her or sort of exercise her psychic powers with the tiara on at school, which she gets kind of ridiculed for your... And um, there's again, there's, and there's this scene then where the teacher invites her out, meets her on the bridge or whatever, which is kind of a bit creepy. Yeah. Um, and this tiara allows her to see the aliens as they in their true form, because a lot of them are masquerading as humans, which is something which uh, John Carpenter would use in They Live a few years later. It's like mm. I'm pretty sure he never watched Nayuta, but it's it's an interesting yeah yeah comparison sort of thing. Um, mm. And then this guy. Uh, Ryotaro turns up, who is like meant to be some kind of love interest, I think, but he's an exceptionally dull character. Yeah, he's also super weak as well. Like, yeah, he's super useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, I can teleport thirty meters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> and there's this bit where Nayuta gets taken by Kiro up on his spaceship in orbit, um, and they they kind of go outside, and they're outside in orbit. Yeah. Yeah, so she like, she discovers her powers in a nonsensical way. Yeah, and then like kind of yeah has this out of body experience and then flies through the spaceship out into space. <laughs> and you're like, okay, right. Well, we'll I will I'll accept that you know, sure, like maybe Espers can breathe in space. I don't care. It's a sci-fi thing. I'm not yeah. gonna hold that accountable. I'm not gonna hold that part accountable. Um, but what I will hold accountable is the fact that. They can only teleport 30 meters, and none of the other characters' powers have been introduced at all. Yeah. And then they go ahead, and they're suddenly on the spaceship as well, after being on Earth <laughs> 10 seconds before. Like, they just knew she was in trouble. Obviously, because she's screaming and everything. But, like, it's just it's just bad. It's just everything's yeah. bad. Like, I can't... Because yeah. there's this really clumsy bit where, I think, is it Ryotaro explains the uh, teleportation, the science behind teleportation. He's like, <laughs> you know science. that is... And it's like, you know, that's going to like play in. It's like so deliberate. Yeah. Really, really deliberate in how he explains it. And it's like, well, you know, that's going to be a factor later on, isn't it? Some key plot point later on in the show is going to rely on that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and it happens it's, twice to her. So basically she has like yeah. 
two extra personalities and, and they're both yeah. like teleported inside her. It's just, it's odd because there's also that point where, where Soz, um, she loses her composure and, and then I guess turns to dust after yeah. uh, discovering uh, Kiro's body in the mm. crystal or is it like a fluid thing? Yeah. Um, and then along with a load of other people. So we're, we're led to believe that the Kiro that still exists now is no is not actually him, but potentially a <laughs> uh, potentially one of the one of the Cree looking guys. Mm. But then, like he still holds all of his memories and emotions, and everything goes well at the end, and no one gets rescued. Like they're not dead because yeah, they're, they're just yeah. their bodies are in cry, but we never revisit them. Like how no. she sees her parents, yeah, like who obviously didn't perish in the fire. But like they're like, oh yeah, no, they're dead. But I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand because it's like they go. I mean, I don't want to skip right to the end right now. If you've got some other stuff to talk about, so I'll save it. But yeah, you crack on because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut and go well, in on this. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's just you know, as I said, like the characters are just dull. You mm. know, like Kiro, you know, kind of as the main sort of antagonist in the second half has no menace about him whatsoever it's like no threat you know this uh all superior being senile xyla or whatever he's called yeah. kind of there's no threat or menace about it i mean the only bit that has any threat is the the sound that the azabo make this kind of screechy sound he's actually quite terrifying yeah. um i mean that's quite a good sound effect uh but like there's no i say there's no menace there's no real threat in it um and because it's so slow and because like none of the action scenes have any intensity about them and it plods on and then you get this big bit of exposition that explains something that just could have been said in half the words and half the time much more succinctly. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just never amounts to anything. It never gets going. Um, and then it kind of whimpers out. Yeah, I, I really struggled with it. Um, I, I did watch it twice, but I really, like the second time, I had to really force myself through it. I had to really, it was a real struggle to watch again. Yeah. Um, and like, the, it never, like the Esper things never really played into it apart from like two no, action scenes no. where like Soz kind of held all the agency. Yeah. Um, on those. And then obviously Kiro just had an overwhelming force. But um, you wanted to talk about the, the other Esper movies at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, because, you know, I say when you look certainly from like 1980 when Tour of the Terror came out and then you had like Locke the Superman and things like Cosmo Police Justy, you know, it was, a, it was a really big thing. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before. There's other stuff that um, mm. that we've reviewed similar. You know, there's so many much better examples of Esper anime from that period out there. You know, the three that I've just mentioned you know, certainly the Lock the Superman and Tour of the Terror movies, you know, are really, really good. And they're really, really good, you know, Esper type things. And this kind of feels like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that bandwagon. But yeah, I mean, it's no wonder it's kind of forgotten, I think. Which is a bit odd because Kiro is voiced by Akira Kamiya, who voiced, mm. you know, Ken Shiro in Fist of the North Star and Rio Cyber in City Hunter. I mean, he's a massive name, mm. you know, and it just, it's weird to find him in this role, in this odd, forgotten mid-80s OVA, really. I mean, it's when he was really, you know, he was at the kind of height of his popularity as well. Yeah. You know, when you, you look at what he was doing during that period, he was, you know, he was a superstar. So, because um, the other thing as well, I really struggled to know what the target audience was of it. 
yeah. if you look at you know if you look at the other work that Masami Hata had done you know it's all kind of kiddie fair like you know because the animation's dreadful I mean it's really basic but it's got a kind of really basic kiddie kind of feel to it and I don't know whether that's yeah. just a budget thing or that's kind of what it was doing but it's quite dark at times as well so yeah yeah it does it it does it just I don't know it's everything in a pot with nothing to show for itself really yeah it's, they're they too I don't know it's 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 very hard to talk about it because it's just there's you you can't really chalk it up to any one thing no no because dialogue falls flat uh exposition like builds up to nothing essentially yeah um animated action scenes that are meant to feel weighty and impactful like pivotal moments in character development yeah you don't yeah. realize you've gone through them because they're over in a flash and they don't they're not really action scenes yeah with the exception maybe of the sauce one where she's giving like coordinate things and they're working together as a, like a sp mm. unit and you're like oh okay is this where like she's gonna like you know kind of get forced into a position where she levels up no. Yeah. <laughs> so, like all these opportunities that could have been seized to kind of yeah, tell a better yeah. story were just skipped. Mm. Um, I, I can only I have no what I no idea why because it would only take one watch through at the end to realize oh maybe we really haven't hit the right notes here. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's it just as you said lacks any intensity. Yeah. And and just has it just expects you to accept everything that's happening and you're like okay well yeah, yeah. i completely uh, yeah like i say i struggle with it like i say it's one of the, uh, possibly one of the worst things i've, I've seen um yeah in- it definitely has to be because it's like especially at the ending where they they there's this idea of utopia yeah beyond <laughs> the barrier yeah um which is this essentially the lie that has been told to kiro <laughs> where where like the big bang has happened again but yeah the barrier that protects that surrounds the Earth yeah. solar system is protecting it from that. Yeah, which are like okay, so that's the ultimate <laughs> truth. Uh, and they're like, oh, we'll teleport outside the barrier. And you're like, obviously the the big bad guy doesn't want that to happen. But Kiro, who's at this point we know from Saz's perspective, has been totally replaced in body and mind and spirit mm. by because because you see his original body, um, which means leads me to believe like why they even bother aging him 12 years when they were just going to encase him in ice and duplicate him anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's never answered. Uh, and then they all exist within Noyuta's body at the end to power her up so she can defeat Space Dragon. Which is, yeah. Which comes out of nowhere. Which yeah. is probably the only cool part of the... Uh, yes, that uh, kind of yeah. Space Dragon, that electric dragon thing is the one and only cool bit of this OVA. yeah. Yeah, it is the one and only cool part. Um, and then there's this inexplicable utopia that they kind of arrive mm. at that has no, there's not been hinted at at all. It's like, what is yeah, this? Where did it yeah. come from? What is this Earth's thing? Or is this somewhere completely different? Yeah. Um, and that's it. It ends. Yeah, so and it ends. Yeah. It, and then you get this soppy text to kind of, you know, yeah, let's all get of, along. Um, Post credits sort of stills. I, to me, it just does everything badly. It does it's nothing right, you know. It's not, yeah, it is just bad. You can't really it's, like. There's no. You can't pinpoint an exact point at where it went wrong, apart from probably its conceptualization. Yeah, yeah. I say it's dull. The characters are dull. 
the story's slow it's full of exposition there's no intensity there's there's no threat in it, it, it you know, it's a mess in terms of storytelling. It doesn't really lead anywhere. Yeah, it just does everything badly, in my view. Yeah. I mean, no wonder this is still a very forgotten AVA, Lewis. Yes, no wonder at all. <laughs> Don't do it to yourself unless you want to be bewildered. Yeah, I mean, there's just nothing I can recommend about it. I mean, the thing is, it's not even one of those so bad it's good things. No, it's not. It's just, it's just it sits purely in this limbo of just being so ultra ter- terrible that uh, but also not like not in a, a comedic way yeah so it, it's it's in that parabellum between <laughs> between ultra bad and ultra yeah. dull yeah and it doesn't have anything comedic about it that would even slightly redeem it as being so bad it's good no it's no. only ever worth watching is if you have a podcast yourself and you want to be upset yeah <laughs> Interestingly, you know, if you look at reviews on the internet of this, it kind of, it's all over the shop a bit with it. And it's like, you, you never see kind of scores like higher than average, like, you know, sort of the six, seven mark. But I think people thought this was better than average, really. I, you know, I, I just struggle how anyone would get any enjoyment out of this at all. I, I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you score it, Lewis? Um, I'd give it a one out of ten. Yeah, you see, I give it a one out of ten, and I and I've given it two because the cool blue electric dragon towards the end gives it an extra point. But I mean, it is really that bad, isn't it? I mean, it yeah, is literally a one out of ten kind of OVA, isn't it? So yeah, it's uh, it's it's not worth watching. Yeah, you know, it's not like we haven't warned you, folks. So yeah, um... so if you do do it, <laughs> it's it's just upsetting. It's <laughs> yeah, I was I was genuinely angry at it. After. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. It's like if you watch it and you go, "Well, there's 80 minutes of my life I'm never getting back." It's like we told you so. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 80 minutes as well. Christ. Oh, I know. I know. Could have done so much in that time. Yeah, but it didn't. Anyway, time to move on. I think, Lewis. Yeah. Whatever, White Bear. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers.
あれ今俺飯食ったっけそう、next review today is whatever white bear its japanese name is nate ni shirakuma this is a one episode ova from 1987 directed by sasagawa hiroshi Uh, who was a really prolific director, certainly from the mid 70s and through the 80s.、Uh, he did the Time Boken anime, Space Knight Tekkerman, the original、uh, Kashan, Gatchaman 2, Speed Racer, you know, he was chief director on. You know, he's done a lot of really, really big titles. Speed Racer? Yeah, yeah, he was chief director on Speed Racer, this guy, yeah. So he directed a lot of really, really big sort of sci fi franchise stuff through the. From the mid 70s.、Um, was that, was that post work after this or was that before? That was all before, yeah.、Ah. So, yeah, Speed Racer. I can't remember off the top of my head when that was now. Early 70s, I think, wasn't it? Maybe.、Mm. Yeah, so、um, Time Boken, I think, was like 75 or something like that. Space Knight Tekkerman was 78, no, maybe a bit earlier, 76, something like that. Kashan was early 70s.、Uh, Gatchaman 2 was mid 70s. You know, sort of during that period.、Um, You know, I say, did a lot of really, really big name titles. So,、uh, and I think, you know, at the big studio, Tatsunoko's and, and Toei's and whatever. So,、um, this OVA was actually produced by AAIC Artmic, who was certainly in the late 80s was a very, very big studio producing OVAs. A lot of the OVAs that, you know, Masami Abari and Toshiki Hirano were producing, you know, that was all at AIC, you know. You know, the bubblegum crisis and dungayos and all that kind of stuff. So, there was a lot of content they were producing solely on the OVA market and、mm-hmm. AIC. So, it doesn't surprise me that they've produced this. It's not available in the West, obviously. There is a fan sub that we mentioned earlier for Morphin. So, you know, you can quite easily find it and, and watch it. It's not difficult. I'm going to give a basic synopsis, and there is A chunk of this that I kind of want to avoid talking about because I think yeah, it will we won't talk about it. Yeah, the end. So,、um, so the basic synopsis is a mother bear and her two sons and a boar live a simple life next to a river, but a chance encounter with a tortoise leads them on a journey down river and the discovery of abandoned city. Now, we will talk up to the point where they find the abandoned city and the bit beyond that because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like, you I know. Was- Led astray. I was like, who's、yeah. the target audience for this? Yeah.、Um, you know, because I, mean, I think this OVA is like really genius because, I mean, ultimately it's about 27 minutes long. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, it's like really, really short, but I think it does so much in that time of 27 minutes. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's kind of genius, but I mean, what did you think? I thought, even despite it being. What is it, 30, 37 minutes, did you say? No, I think it's,、oh, it's about 27 minutes. It's only、yeah. 27 minutes.、Um, yeah, I, because on the on the recording, it's got the advert for the the, the video f i l e s 32 minutes, yeah. and it's got that. I mean, I mean, we'll talk about this, but it's got that advert for the game, which I think is about three or four minutes at the end, which I think makes it, I think, overall about 28 minutes in, yeah, in total. Yeah, 27, 28 minutes. I, I still think it could have been shorter. <laughs> but, but mainly because, like, I thought. It's very、um, slow, and each scene kind of like drags on maybe for about four or five seconds too long, in my personal <laughs> opinion, at the start. Like the, the whole, like,、um, it's funny, but like,、yeah. you're like, ha ha ha, yeah. And then, like, the, the comedy joke on screen carries on 
for another mm. six seconds or so, and you're like, all right, it's not funny anymore. Um, so like that, an example of that is when he bats something out of the water, he backs a fish out of the water, and he's going ho 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 as a yeah. kuma, and that like that goes on for like fifteen seconds. Yeah, and uh, and like yeah, he's holding the uh, holding the fish, and it's like making him vibrate. Yeah, um, because it's wiggling around, and then the the little um, pig like puts his Uribo. Ha- Uribo, yeah, yeah uh, puts his uh, hand or his hoof on <laughs> uh, Shirakuma, and he starts vibrating as well while holding the fish, and you're like, ha ha, you, you laugh at that, but then that yeah. carries on for another fifteen to twenty seconds, and you're like, yeah. oh, so I do think that pacing is a is a bit of an issue, even though this yeah. is short, I did feel like pacing was a bit of an issue with this. Um, because I was like, I was going into it blind. I was like, I'm watching uh, a kid's thing, right? Yeah. Because uh, like it was like all these little creatures yeah, yeah, walking along, yeah. saying their own name like it's Pokemon. Yeah. Um, and you know, like a, a cut scene away of a, a leaf, you know, breathing in carbon dioxide and breathing yeah. out oxygen. It's all very. It it clearly doesn't take itself seriously. Which is is amicable and fun, but yeah, yeah pacing for me was like it just felt bad, um, <laughs> because it just lasted too long. The scene where they like find the turtle and everything else that lasted too long, um, but you know, fun. Yeah, I mean it's just odd. Yeah, everything. I mean it's just a really odd OVA. Who's it for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you because I was it's, like, it's for everybody and nobody. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Because I was looking at it, I was like, is this for kids? And I was like, Doraemon was out before this, and this is infinitely better. Uh, sorry, Doraemon's infinitely better. You know? Yeah. Um, so I just didn't know, Yeah. genuinely didn't know what this was for. Um, and then obviously, like, you know, as the things progress and it speeds up a little bit, it just becomes darker and darker. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's what's really odd about it. Because Sasagawa Hiroshi, I mean, this was obviously just like, I'm going to go do something really different. I've done 10 years of yeah, it's doing... It's like a pet project. Yeah, yeah, sci-fi and mecha and, you know, high concept action series and all the rest of it. And it's like, right, I'm not, you know, these big studios. Now I'm going to go to this little studio and I'm going to do this, like, I've got this idea buzzing around my head and I'm going to produce this OVA. Yeah. And he was obviously trying to, I think, maybe trying to say something in it. Um, I think there's a message you could take from it a little bit. I don't know. I don't um, know. I think it's the original. It feels like to me the original. Don't hug me. I'm scared. <laughs> like, yeah, which is yeah. like a, a modern day yes, kind of. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know, I think you're um, right. Yeah, nightmare. You know, fever dream kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because it has this thing about kind of like there's this theme of like life going on, right? Yeah. You know the bird. You know the the inner thoughts of the birds who think. You know, have I eaten yet? You know, the mm. the flea just bouncing around. It's a flea. It doesn't yeah. do anything. It's just bouncing around in the water. Um, you know, this family of bears that kind of know nothing about the world sort of thing. Yeah. You know, they nothing. They know nothing about their surroundings and what exists beyond, you know, a patch of land next to the river yeah. where they eke out this existence sort mm. of thing. Yeah. They keep Urubo, who's this uh, boar, in the warthog type thing. Yeah. Um, and they look after him because they ate his mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, feel bad so there's this thing it. about, you know, the ecosystem, you know, that life, you know, there's predators and everyone has their place has in their the, roles, yeah. you know, in the food chain sort of thing. 
because Shiro is this like he's not the sharpest tool in the box, is he? No, he's you know, clearly an idiot. Yeah, uh, he's the only one that doesn't talk. Yeah, um, and he just like kind of just his his character is exceptionally expressive, more so than yeah. the uh, you know than the, the mother and his yeah. brother Daichan. Um, and yeah, it's like he's obviously the I guess the personified degenerate of yeah. his family. Because you know, because obviously, we're not going to talk about what happens when he goes into the um, uh, when they find the abandoned city. But it's just it just <laughs> spirals from there. Yeah, I know. Spirals into this, you know, into darkness. Really, it just it still remains playful in yeah. a sense. But yeah, like you like you say, it is like a kind of like life goes on, simple life continues, and yeah, um, knows only what it knows. Because once they find the city and. They go into it. I mean, it's a proper, like, WTF moment, isn't mm. it? Some of the things that happen, you're like, really? Really? And and I think there's, like, a bit of a circle of life type thing in how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Because, as I said, there's, like, they, they all they know is their spot next to the river. And as they end up on this sort of adventure downstream, which they've never been before, and they find these artifacts, you know, they find a TV and a bucket. And I quite like the way when the mother bear finds the crown and it's like, oh, shiny. Oh, this is mine. There's this thing about sort of materialistic greed that mm. kind of comes into play a little bit there. She, you know, she swats off the kids like, no, this is mine. You know, the, the possessiveness and how things do that to you. I mean, there's a bit, I think there's like messages there in it. Um, yeah. And it... It kind of almost talks about, or it depicts this kind of message about kind of the ignorance and narrow-mindedness of kind of almost stupidity of life. Yeah, you know, hundred yeah, percent. And it also like it, this slight comment on the you know, they're finding all these like interesting relics, which are yeah, you know, affecting their life. Yeah, um, the closer they get to the abandoned city. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it's a comment on how we impact obviously things around mm. us and without yeah. thinking about it and the consequences of our actions yes yeah um, exactly yeah but yeah it's 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 tongue-in-cheek it's it's a, it's a nice short condensed story yeah with even though it's short still has a slight pacing issue at the start um but i you know i'm not gonna have a go at it for that really <laughs> you you can just you know yeah, I mean, I I get where you're coming from with that. I think there mm. are a few little bits that draw, like out. you say, which just and like you say, it's it's a very kind of fractional thing. Um, you yeah. know, it's literally like a bit goes on for like ten seconds more than it than it needed to. Yeah, and and it, you've kind of you've dropped off a cliff of kind of how funny or impactful that little bit was. I I I get where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah, but you say it's just. I've never seen anything. I mean, we've talked about a few experimental OVAs on here. Take the X train, Twilight Q, for example. There's a few things like that. But mm. this that takes it to a whole different level, I think. Yeah. And uh, like I say, you know, as as much as I said, it you know, it talks about the kind of sort of narrow mindedness and stupidity of life. I think it celebrates the simplicity and beauty of life at the same time. You know, this depiction of life just going on about its business, you know, and just the the, the circle of life and yeah. things happen and then they just carry on and life just carries on. You know, it doesn't stop. Despite some of these 
kind of events that happen through the OVA. Mm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just really odd. Um, yeah, I feel like there's more backstory here behind the actual production of it than mm. the actual product itself leads. Um, yeah. And, and pitches, so maybe knowing more about like where this stemmed from and the choices mm. that were made here might alter my opinion on it slightly, but mm. yeah, I don't know. It's it's an odd one for me. It's an enigma. It is. It's very much an enigma for me as well. And I think you completely, or I completely agree with what you're saying now. I think, you know, there must be, there was definitely more in Hiroshi's mind or his notebook or yeah. whatever that led to this creation because it's such an odd thing to create. I mean, it's it's so short and it tells this really bizarre story. I mean, it's the beauty of the creativity, you know, of the boom era, mm. the bubble economy, you know, in that kind of late 80s periods where people could just really go and do this stuff because you would never, ever see anything like this yeah, never beyond again. that period, never again. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uniqueness and the fact that I've just never seen anything like it. And even though I know I've watched it several times and I know what's coming, I still kind of get a bit of a thrill at just kind of how odd and, you know, often tangents it goes. Yeah. Um, Kind of, you know, even though that first time, I mean, it was just like, I watched it. I was like, what did I just watch? Yeah. Um, (laughs) My score for it ultimately would probably be affected if I watched it a few more times. Um, but as a first time kind of experience, like I was pretty much like set in stone with what I thought of it. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of nuance in this. Yeah. Yeah. An awful lot of nuance, um, and, and little messages, which I think I've benefited on. I think I've watched this like four times now, um, over the last two years. And I think, yeah, I think I do still see little bits and pick up stuff every time I watch it. And that's why I think it's like a really clever, a really genius bit of writing. Um, it's not perfect in any stretch of the imagination, um, you know, for the things that we've both just talked about. Um, and But yeah, at the same time, I just kind of think it's just such a genius little bit of animation, you know. Mm. And I think it's the type of thing that like, it kind of demonstrates the power of animation a bit, I think. You would never create something like this in live action and it to be so effective or kind of thought-provoking in some yeah. ways. I mean, the, the, the isn't White <clears throat> Bear itself like the idea of like thinking of a scenario that shouldn't be thought up mm. as a psychological yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The White Bear problem. I'm no idea if that plays into the title. Like whatever. Yeah, you might be. It might, yeah. It you might know, very well. Whatever White that. Bear, because it's like yeah. really... Like these scenarios that shouldn't be, you know, thought yeah. up or pictured I mean, or manifested. Yeah, there's definitely a load of meaning in there. There's, that... there's, there's something, <laughs> there's something to yeah. be discovered about this one. I think it's one of those. Uh, it's a puzzle. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I, I've rated this an eight because I, I really, really do genuinely like it. I think it's, as we said, we've called it an enigma. It's, you know, it is. Mm. It's. I don't know. It could only come from late 80s Japan. Yes. It couldn't be created, I don't think, anywhere else in the world. Mm. Right. There is a mindset and a set of circumstances and everything that was kind of happening at that time in that place by a culture of people 
with a, you know a specific mindset kind of thing yeah. you know and i think only they would have created something like this i know there's lots of experimental animation from various countries around the world but something quite like this i just don't think would have come from anywhere other than late 80s japan no quite right um and uh yeah and and for that i just love it mm. um uh, yeah it's just a lot of oh, i don't know it, it's it's so odd. It's, I think it's. I think it's, it's really difficult things. to talk about in, in yeah. many respects. I think it's one of those things that will have many people split because well, I think there's agree. such yeah. such a range of ratings for this. I'd assume um, that can be chalked up. Like yeah, like you you giving it an eight out of ten. I'm like talking to you more about it. Like I'd I'd be inclined to change my rating, but I'm going to go with the, the rating that I got yeah. from yeah. Uh, just my first time watch, which would be five out of ten. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's because it was just a fun but confusing experience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I think there is a lot more to kind of like be discovered about this and potentially some hidden genius. Or yeah, yeah. the other side of that is there is none and they just decided to do it for the... <laughs> <laughs> just just for the giggles. So um, I could be reading too much into it or I could not be. Uh, but there may be something about the title and the idea of the white bear that yeah, has, yeah. has something i'm not sure if even that psychological problem existed back then or permeated japanese culture but um yeah. there's something there's something else there but for me as a first time viewer it's got to be a five out of ten yeah you see, i i get that and if i'm honest lewis i think there's a load of people um could watch this and really hate it um, yeah yeah Again, I found one thing that had reviews, and I think it had quite a low score on it, like as a like a handful of, you know, star ratings, which I completely get. I think it's one of those things that you can find a lot split. to them. Yeah. Sorry, it'll have people split. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I think you can find a lot to unpack in it, which personally I do. I yeah. think there's a lot of ideas and stuff that um, that I can do in there. But I think some people you could just watch it and go. Just what on earth was that all about? I yeah. hate it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it could be um, very divisive. Mm, I do um, think so as well. I think it's uh, it's got basically space to be a cult classic and also a yeah uh, <laughs> cult mistake. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it was a fun. It's definitely worth watching, regardless of what you think mm. of it. It's just purely interesting. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I would recommend people to go and watch it because it's one of those things that you you kind of. Yeah, and if you can easily to... get, if you can easily get a hold of it, um, it's definitely worth watching just purely for the ending, anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. The last ten minutes, as you put yeah. it in the notes. <laughs> yeah, because it's you. You won't watch anything like it, you know. Mm. Um, and it was kind of beautiful about the eighties OVA boom because you just got stuff like this. You got stuff like Angel's Egg, as well, which mm. yeah, you know, in the mid eighties. You know, we reviewed that, you know, and that's kind of odd, you know, but it's, again, there's a lot, you know, we talked about there that you can unpack in yeah. that. So you can interpret a lot of things differently. And we both interpreted a lot of things differently when we both watched Angel's Egg. So mm. I think this is similar. I think, as I said before, you can unpack things. You can unpack a lot or, or, or nothing. You know, there's many different ways you can interpret this this OVA, uh, which I, you know, which is why I think it's really clever and quite a, a genius bit of animation. Um, so, yeah, I would wholeheartedly, you know, recommend watching it and, and forming an opinion of it because you yeah. won't ever watch anything like this, I promise you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
So that brings us to the end of our reviews. Um, you know, an interesting couple. Um, as you said at the beginning, Lewis, so, uh, you know, very, very different in... In style, for sure. In style, for sure, yeah. Um, but both a year apart, both, I say, completely forgotten, largely. Um, mm-hmm. and actually to the quite... roots of the classic, the around the forgotten. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Interestingly, you know, just touch on... Um, in the notes that in the blog that accompanies orphans releases, um, mm. I think they found it. Uh, you know, one of the guys, uh, part of the fan subbing group who he just found the laser disc on a, you know, on a market search and was just like, Oh, this is interesting. Picked it up and, and that's how they discovered it sort of thing, you know, and it's, it is, I mean, I, I won't say it's buried treasure because <laughs> I'll yeah. say, I think, but you know, whatever white bear, you know, these things just sat there. I say completely forgotten by by most people. So, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go and look up more theories about this now. <laughs> I might be overthinking it completely, but who knows? <laughs> so, right next time we're going back to some dragon themed OVAs. I feel we haven't talked about dragon themed OVAs for a long time. Um, seems to be a bit of a running theme <laughs> over a few episodes. Um, so we're going to review Xanadu, Legend of the Dragon Slayer and Dragon Century. Where to find us? You can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, Overcast, loads and loads of places like that. CastBox, uh, just search for Retro Anime Podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave us a review. It all helps with the visibility of the podcast. Do have a website, RetroAnimePodcast.com. Uh, which is getting a little bit of work here and there. I've started to find some stuff to tweak it. Um, I'm quite a regular user of the Anime UK News forums, where my username is Orgun, O-R-G-U-N. Please follow my companion, Mecha Podcast, Retro Mecha Podcast. Find us on Twitter, at Retro Mecha, and the podcast at all the same places you find this one, by searching for Retro Mecha Podcast. So that wraps us up for today, Lewis. It does indeed. So another couple of, uh, again, I think slightly obscure OVAs, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I talked about this, you know, bringing back the uh, platform obscurity thing, but I think I said at the end of episode 25, um, we kind of seem to do a lot of plucking from obscurity um, on this. So uh, I have got some classics uh, lined up as well in a few episodes, so... (laughs) We will get back to some stuff that maybe more people would have heard of originally. What, what, but what's that? What, tease me. What? Which one? We're going to do a bit on City Hunter. So, um, oh, okay. Which I'm not sure how much of that franchise you've seen. Uh, absolutely none. None. So. No. Which, which will be a good introduction, I think, yeah. as well, because I think I think everyone should watch a bit of City Hunter um, anime. But I won't talk any more about that. Hmm. Um, 
there. But I, I do like unearthing and, and talking about some of the obscure stuff because, you know, there's just such there's a range. Of there's plenty of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, there's a such a big back catalogue of stuff that you can you can talk about with anime. So, uh, yeah, I do, you know, I do like to sh- shed a bit of light on this stuff, which otherwise would just sit there largely forgotten and the Utah should you know kind of sit there largely forgotten yeah but, some that know. should remain there but yeah <laughs> what can you do but you know you do need kicking to... and screaming into the light <laughs> yeah. but then we do provide the service that says well you know we've watched this stuff so you don't have to you know i know i know a few podcasts use that line but and it's not the main purpose but um you know nice. there is a, a breadth of good and bad of all different genres in anime, which, uh, which you know, was the kind of whole point of the podcast. Mm. So, on that note, we'll call it a day there. So, until next time, Lewis. Until next time. Well, you didn't tell them what we're doing next episode. I've already done that. Have you? Yeah. Oh. Xanadu. Oh, Lizard of the Dragon Slayer and Dragon Century. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought. I thought we. I thought we diverted to talk about some of the new teasers. My bad. <laughs> dear yeah I say go back to a few dragon themed IVAs yeah because it just seems to be a running theme completely unintentional but it just seems to be a bit of a running theme on earlier episodes so I just thought I'd run with it Lewis yeah it makes sense no totally <laughs> I dig it I like dragons so well they and you do like dragons that's yep. true that's very true so <laughs> right okay Lewis we'll talk next time alright cool See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye, everybody. The opening and closing music of the podcast is the opening theme to Brave of the Sun Firebird, copyright to Sunrise Studios. All other music used within the podcast is copyright to its respective creator.